It is Labor Day weekend, so it's a long weekend for some people. Not everybody. Not everybody gets Labor Day off. I used to have a job where I had to work on Labor Day. But for those of us who do have a long weekend, I'm sure we appreciate it. And the purpose of Labor Day, it's, it's not a sacred holiday or anything like that. It's just to, to recognize the fact that we can work and make a living, and then we, we celebrate the fact uh, there's a long history back to the holiday. We won't get into all that, but it's a time where we can be thankful as Christians that we have the ability to work and take care of ourselves and, and just celebrate that. Uh, and it made me think of a, another old hymn that we used to sing when I was growing up, and maybe you're anticipating where I'm going, but it goes like this, and I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to read the words. Work for the night is coming, work through the morning hours. Work while the dew is sparkling, work mid-springing flowers. Work when the day grows brighter, work in the glowing sun. Work for the night is coming when man's work is done. Work for the night is coming, work through the sunny noon. Feel bright this hours with labor, rest comes sure and soon. Give every flying minute something to keep in store. Work for the night is coming when man works no more. Work for the night is coming under the sunset skies. While their bright tents are glowing, work for daylight flies. Work till the last beam fadeth, fadeth to shine no more. Work for the night is darking when man's work is o'er. I never understood that song when I was growing up, but now I understand. It's about living a life in service to Christ. We only have a very, very short time here on earth, and we need to be about God's business. In this passage in Hebrews chapter 4, the writer is talking about a promised rest for God's people. And it's all rooted back in the Sabbath that God created back in the beginning. If you remember, God created the earth and the heavens and the universe and everything. And in six days and on the seventh day, it says he rested. And now God did not rest because he was tired. God did not rest because he was worn out. He rested to set a pattern and an example for us. The Hebrew word Sabbath, the root word for that means to cease. And what God did on the seventh day by resting, He ceased His creation. He announced that it was done. His creative work was finished. And once again, He was giving us an example to follow. And all throughout the Old Testament, God's people were given a command. It was one of the Ten Commandments. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And you weren't supposed to work on that day. There were regulations and things that you were supposed to follow. And the idea was that God had set a precedent. We need to cease from our work and we need to stop and we need to pause and we need to think about Him and devote ourselves to Him. And I do think part of the reason God instituted the Sabbath was practical. As human beings, there are times when we need to just stop and rest and relax. Uh, I'm understanding that more and more as I get older. Uh, as I was out mowing the grass yesterday, it's not a huge yard. I've got a nice lawnmower, but the sun was beating down and I, I guess I could have pushed myself and mowed it all at one time, but I'm just going to be honest. I stopped and rested because I needed to. And God understands. And all throughout the Old Testament, the idea of the Sabbath was given to the people for two reasons, I believe. One was to physically rest from what they were doing. But the other was to pause all their worldly activities and all the things that life throws at you and to stop and focus on Him. And that carried out through the entire Old Testament. There are a couple of places in the Old Testament where God was preparing them. When He led them up out of Egypt, He had Moses lead them through the wilderness. And He talked about the promised land being a rest for His people. And we understand that because of all the sin and all the craziness going on, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. And it was a long time before they were allowed to reach the promised land. And in fact, an entire generation died off. 
In Psalm 95, David talked about the rebelliousness of the people and says, those people did not enter my rest, the promised land. And then Joshua stepped up because Moses wasn't even allowed to go in because of things that he had done. And even though Joshua took them into the promised land, they fell right back into their same old habits. And you see the prophets talking about a future rest because all those in the past were not able to enter into the rest that God had planned for them because of sin, because of the hardness of their hearts, because of rebellion. And that's the background for what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here in chapter 3 and chapter 4. Chapter 3, and the entire book of Hebrews is to prove that Christ is superior to everything that came before. And in chapter 3, immediately before what we're going to read this morning, it talks about Christ being our apostle, the one who was sent on our behalf. It talks about him being the perfect high priest that was able to go into the Holy of Holies with his own blood and present it so that we could be forgiven. And it mentions the fact that God has a rest planned for his people, those who are faithful. And I do want to read part of chapter 3 and verse 7. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear his, his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. And the writer of Hebrews is using that example from their past, from their history, to show that we as believers in Christ have a promised rest waiting for us when Christ returns. But just like the people who the writer of Hebrews was writing to, just like those that God spoke to in the Old Testament, if we don't listen to His voice, if we don't obey, as this scripture says, if we harden our hearts to Him, we will not enter that rest. And God wants us to. God desperately wants us to be a part of it. He desperately wanted for His people in the wilderness to enter that rest, but because they continually turned away from him, they continually turned to idols, he just could not allow it. But that was all leading up to Jesus, all leading up to the Messiah. And one of my favorite things that Jesus said while he was here, and if you want to turn to there, you can, but it's in Matthew 11. And Jesus has been having these conversations with his disciples and the apostles, and all those around. And right at the end of Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 27, it says, All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal Him. And this is the part I like. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if you read through the book of Matthew up to that point, you get the Sermon on the Mount, you get the Beatitudes, you get Jesus showing them what was intended in the original law. And part of the reason Jesus told the folks listening was because they had been trying to live up to this law. They were trying to live up to the expectations of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And it was oppressive. There was no way that they could meet the expectations. And Jesus says, if you want to take a break from that, from trying to save yourself, come to me. And notice he still says there's a yoke. 
He said, but it's light and it's manageable. And you'll find rest in me because I will take care of all this stuff that you just can't do. That was an aha moment for me as a Christian when I understood that. Even though I grew up in the church my whole life, for some reason, I don't know why, I don't believe anybody actually taught me this, but for some reason I just thought I had to be good enough. And I lived my life for that for a long time thinking I had to be good enough. And every time I made a mistake or slipped, I'm like, well, there, I blew it. There's no way. I can't be good enough. And if you've ever felt that way or lived that way, it's miserable to think that you can't be good enough and to think that you have to be good enough. So when I read Jesus' word saying, come to me, I'll take care of it. You can rest from trying to save yourself because I did it for you. It was like the light had been turned on. It's like Jesus did it. I don't have to be perfect. And it doesn't mean I don't strive for it. Jesus says there's still a yoke. If I love him, I will still keep his commandments. And I believe as Christians, part of our working here in this life, number one is to continue to obey Jesus and live according to his word. Scripture actually tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that was another passage I never really understood. Like, well, if you can't save yourself, what does it mean work out your own salvation? And I think what Paul was trying to say in that is God is working in us, so work what he is working in your lives. And it's not fear like we're terrified of him. It's to have this reverential awe and to understand what he has done for us. And then when his spirit moves us, and His Spirit guides us. We need to obey. And we need to be working for the kingdom. And that's going to look different from every single one of us. Not every single one of us have been called to be preachers or missionaries. But whatever it is God has called us to do, we're supposed to do it for Him. And that is our work here on life. Paul in Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, and that means everything, whatever it is that you are doing, whether in word or deed, the things you say or the things you do, do it in the name of Christ, giving thanks to the Father through Him. And we all need to be working. But the beautiful thing is, is what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4. So let's turn back and read that. Understanding that there were those in the past who had been promised this rest, had been promised deliverance, and they refused it. They wouldn't accept it, and they were left out. Keeping that in mind, the writer says, Therefore, because we know what God has done in the past and what He has promised, since the promise to enter His rest remains. That means it's still there for us. How many of you look forward to a day when you can rest from everything? Physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And the writer says, that's waiting for us. It's there. He said, since the promise still remains, since God still wants us to enter His Sabbath rest, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. That first generation in the wilderness, they fell short. They kept turning back to idols. They grumbled. They complained. They didn't trust God to protect and provide. And they died in the wilderness. Moses, one of the great fathers of the faith. Think about everything Moses did working alongside God, and even he was not allowed to enter the promised land because of his rebellion, because of his arrogance. Let us beware, be on the lookout. As we've been going through Peter, 
both of his letters on Sunday night, we see a lot of this same kind of language. Be alert, be sober-minded, be aware of what's going on. Part of our work as believers is to encourage and uplift and bear one another's burdens. Notice he says, let us beware that none of you, and this doesn't mean we meddle in people's business, we're not busybodies, we're not telling people what to do, but when we see people genuinely struggling, we come along beside them in love and we pray with them and we pray for them and we help them in whatever way we can. And I've had people do that for me in my life and I can tell you I appreciated it. And perhaps you have too. So part of the things we're supposed to be working at is encouraging and uplifting one another and bearing one another's burdens. But we're also supposed to be sharing the gospel to those who don't know. At the end of Matthew, before Jesus ascends, he tells his disciples, go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching these things. So part of our work is to encourage the church to work alongside one another and help one another and love one another and meet one another's needs. When you read the parable of the sheep and the goats, you understand real quickly where Jesus' heart was, is meeting people's needs. And just in the short time I've been here, I have seen that happen. So I know we understand. I have seen us come along beside one another as we were hurting or in need and doing those things. And I know this church cares about sharing the gospel to those who are lost. And we need to continue doing it. Even though sometimes we'll get tired. And sometimes we will be worn out. And that's when someone else steps in and lifts us up. So we need to be aware. We need to be continuing to work. Verse 2 says, We also have received the good news, the gospel, just as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them, since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. Only a handful of that original generation made it in. Joshua and Caleb made it in. They were the only two spies that said, hey, God's got this. Think about how sad that is. An entire generation that saw the miracles and plagues in, the, in Egypt. An entire generation that experienced Passover. That walked through the water. They died in the wilderness because they gave up. And if we're truthful and if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we reach the point where we may feel like giving up. And that's why we come along beside one another. Because we have the gospel, the good news. Jesus says, come to me. That's the good news. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest. Verse 3, it says, we who have believed... And that's those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ, who have been baptized into his name. We who have believed enter the rest in keeping with what he has said. And it makes a reference back to that psalm. I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest. And that's those who are disobedient, those who reject the gospel. It says, even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. That's kind of hard for me to wrap my mind around sometimes, but Scripture makes it very clear that before God created anything, if you go back to Genesis 1 and just say, God created the heavens and the earth and stop, He already knew what it was going to cost. And He had already planned for it. He had already made the way before Adam and Eve ever sinned. He knew that Jesus would go to the cross. 
and that those who believed in him would be saved. And then the writer is going to make reference back to the actual Sabbath, that seventh day of the week. And verse 4 says, For someone he, somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day God rested from his work. Again, in that passage he says, They will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter, and for those who formerly received the good news and did not enter because of disobedience, he again specifies a certain day. Today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He says, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have had to spoken about it later another day. And he's referencing that psalm that King David wrote. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. It's really interesting. If you've been coming to the Bible studies, you know I like to look at the words in the original languages. Every time you see this word rest in this passage, it's one specific Greek word, except for one place, and that's right here. It's the only place that you see this word in the entire New Testament. It's this idea of a Sabbath rest. A rest ordained and set apart by God for His obedient people. And this is the only place it's used. The other times you see rest, it's exactly what we think of. Taking a break, catching your breath, getting your second wind. But right here, this is something different. It's something special that God has in mind for those who are obedient. It says, verse 10, For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. And that's what we have been called to do while we are here. That is our work. We have different careers and different jobs. We have different responsibilities and we have different abilities. But we're all supposed to be working for the kingdom. And that's going to look different for every single person in here. And sometimes we're tempted to think that some kingdom work is more important or some kingdom work is not quite as important. But Paul uses a beautiful illustration about the church saying it's like a body with many different parts. And it takes each and every part working together. And that's a key word, working together for the church to function the way it's supposed to. I hope I never stand up here and think that a sermon I preach is more important than the person who vacuums. Because it's not. It takes both. Don't ever think that what it is that you can do, your ability, your gift, your talent, whatever it is, never think that it's not important. Because that is what God has called you to do faithfully until He returns. Think about the parable of the talents. These three men were called together and they were given different talents if you remember the parable. They got different talents. And you know why they got different talents? Do you remember what it says? Because the owner knew what they could handle. He gave them the talents according to their abilities. He didn't give the guy one talent, five, because he knew the guy couldn't handle five. And it turns out the guy couldn't handle one. God has given you the abilities that you have because he created you uniquely you. And if you're not a preacher or you're not a missionary, or you're not a teacher, or you're not a musician, don't think you have to be. Do whatever it is that God has gifted you to do, and do it faithfully until He returns. Make every effort to be obedient to God's Word. 
and to be obedient to the calling that he has given you. Be who you are. God created you that way for a reason. And I think it's interesting because this next passage of Scripture is probably familiar to all of us, but when you understand the context in which it's given, notice again verse 11, let us then make every effort to enter that rest, that Sabbath rest that God has waiting for us, so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. And how do we do that? Look what the writer says. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. If you ever wonder, am I living up to my abilities? Am I doing kingdom work? Am I fulfilling my commission to be part of the body? The writer of Hebrews says, Scripture will tell you. Are there things that I'm doing that's hindering me? I've had different jobs in the past doing all sorts of things. And one of the things I discovered, especially when I was working in a pharmaceutical company, and there was a machine and you had to run it just the right way for it to work effectively. But I was the new guy. and There were guys that had been there years and they said, hey, let me show you a better way. I'll just tell you. It was never the better way. Something always went wrong. And I learned real quick, even in a job that I thought was menial and didn't matter, it's better to obey the instructions than to do it the way we're supposed to. And that's true in life too. God has given us the Word. And it, when we read it and we study it, it says His Spirit helps us understand. And it shows us those areas where we need to get our act together. And He shows us how we can be effective in using the gifts and the abilities. I'm so thankful Paul explained that to the Corinthians that God made you to be you. So use whatever it is if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a cook, and we've got some good ones here. I know that for a fact. If you're the person that cleans, don't think that your job or your calling is any less than anyone else because we need every person working faithfully until Christ returns. And the beautiful thing is, is sometimes we get tired. Sometimes we get frustrated. How many of you who have been in church your whole life have gotten tired and frustrated doing church stuff? Good thing is, is when we're all contributing, we can step in and when those get tired, they get burnt out, they're hurting, we come in and we help them and we bear their burdens. When we get frustrated and annoyed, the Holy Spirit is there with us. If you think back to the sermon we had in Romans, even when we're to the point where we're about to break, the Holy Spirit will intercede and help us. But what God wants us to do is to keep working. Keep working in the kingdom, working, doing whatever it is He has created you to do. And only you know that. You don't need me to tell you. You know what it is that you're good at. You know what your passions are. And God put those in you for a reason so that you could use them to make the kingdom better. He told us to be salt and light, to go out into the world, whatever it is we're doing, and make it better. And there are going to be moments when we get tired. There are going to be moments when we're frustrated. And when we see our brothers and sisters reaching that point, we come along, we put our arms around them, and we lift them up, and we help them keep going. But the thing that's exciting about it is that one day, Jesus is going to return. 
And these bodies that get tired and these bodies that wear down, they're going to be gone. We're going to be in Jesus' presence. Perfect bodies, perfect health. No more sickness, no more sadness. And all that work and all the striving and all the things we had to do down here be over. It says we will enter a Sabbath rest with our Lord and Savior because our short time on this life, our, our, our work that God has given us to do will be done. That's a great retirement ceremony if you ask me. Christ coming back and we retire from this life to be living in His presence for all eternity. But the important thing, and this is how I'll close this morning, if you are not a believer... Maybe you've heard the gospel preached many times. Maybe you've been in church your whole life and, and you know all this stuff. But if you're not a believer, it says that promise and that rest is not for you. So this morning, if you want to guarantee that that's waiting for you, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you've never confessed Him before, men, if you've never obeyed Scripture and been baptized into His name, we invite you to do so this morning as we stand and sing number 400 and five.